Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I get to continue in this series that we are calling Healthy New Year. And I'm talking about a subject that honestly, I have to wrestle with. Uh, it is something that I have had to come to terms with in my own life, in my own relationship with God. Today, we are talking about silence. And I think that song at each campus was such a beautiful way to set up this conversation. I wonder, have any of you guys ever been in the middle of an awkward silence? I can't do it anymore. That was, uh, that was rough. I, um, I wanted to go longer, but I can't, do, I can't do that to myself. There's something about it. As soon as there is silence in the air, I don't know if you're like me, but my skin starts to crawl. Like I was not built for empty space. And the minute that there is silence, my brain starts racing a mile a minute to figure out what could I say that would break the awkward pause. Is anybody like me out there? How many introverts are like, I love silence and I would take it all day, every day. Pray for me, okay? But I want to talk about silence. I was thinking about the movie, A Quiet Place. And if you've ever seen this movie, it's about aliens that invade earth and the only way they can hunt you is if they hear the sound. And can I tell you, the scariest thing about a quiet place was not the aliens for me. It was that I could not imagine the horror of living in a world that quiet. This is a me problem, I understand, but I just don't like silence. There's this room, actually, that it is, it is touted as the quietest room on earth. It's an anechoic chamber. It's in Minnesota. And it is negative 10 decibels. And get this, they're gonna show you a picture. This just looks aggressive, doesn't it? It looks mean. But the longest anybody has ever lasted in this quietest room on earth is 45 minutes. Like people go crazy, they can't handle it. We weren't built for that kind of quiet. You start to hear your organs working and your heart pumping and there's something very disorienting about it. They actually take NASA astronauts there to train for the silence of space because that's one of the things that astronauts will tell you they weren't prepared for is just how incredibly quiet it is. And I just have to wonder if maybe that is a metaphor for some of us in our relationship with God, that whenever we get quiet enough to listen to God, maybe it's a painful experience, first of all, because we're not quite sure what God's gonna say to us. Maybe we'll hear something we don't like, or maybe We've tried to listen before and we just don't feel like we're hearing anything. We're not connecting. And so if you're anything like me, I just start to build in a lot of noise because of my discomfort with silence. I love noise and, and I have it on all the time. I'm the kind of person that I like a podcast on at all waking moments of the day. Anybody with me on that? I like Spotify. I like to listen to music. I have podcasts on when I go to sleep and it has to be just the right podcast. It can't be too exciting because that'll keep me up. It's got to be informative, but it's got to lull me to sleep slowly into the night. And then I like audiobooks. And when I'm driving, I, I don't ever really have silence. And my wife makes fun of me for this. And 
It's interesting because we live in such a loud world, don't we? Our world, our life is so loud. And what we end up doing, I think so often is we, we numb out with the noise around us. Maybe we numb ourselves with the noise of the news and it's constantly just coming at us and we're constantly getting updates, which by the way, is, is not what the world did for centuries. I mean, it, we, we think it is so normal to know what happened on the other side of the world instantly, but for centuries, somehow they survived without knowing all of the bad things that were happening and constantly being informed about it. And, and it weighs on you mentally, doesn't it? So maybe it's the noise of the news or media or music or gaming or streaming, you name it, all of us have noise surrounding us constantly. And it's interesting because Jesus, he lived in a loud world just like we did. But when you begin to look at the life of Jesus, he would intentionally seek out moments of silence and solitude. It was actually a very big part of his life. There are many scriptures like this. I'm just gonna read one. It's Luke chapter five, verse 16. Listen to this. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And this word wilderness is aramos, and it can mean desert or desolate place, but it can also translate to the lonely place. And at times I can tell you that when I get alone with my thoughts, I can feel very lonely and I can feel very vulnerable and very broken. And I've had this kind of complicated relationship with this thing called silence. And I wonder how many other people within the sound of my voice can relate to that in this very loud world that we live in. And so here's what I wanna do. If I could just break it down to one thing I'd love to do today. I just wanna help you to hear God's voice more clearly. I think all of us are hearing from God in varying degrees. I see a lot of people in this room. I know there are a lot of people in Warren, in Boardman, TCI online. You've known God for a long time. You know the voice of God. And so for you, it might just mean that you're going to hear him more clearly. But some of us have never been able to clearly hear the voice of God and connect with him. This is interesting. These are the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 27. He says something interesting about us. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And this might sound obvious, but just at the risk of sounding obvious, can I state something that's powerful? That there is no way to know God until we can hear God. How silly would it be for me to say, I want to start a relationship with someone and say, but I never want to speak to them and I never want to listen to them. It wouldn't work really well. Some of y'all husbands try it every day and it's not probably going well for you, is it? No, but there is, there is something to this connection and communication. And this is what Jesus is saying. Maybe you could imagine it this way. Have you ever been in a crowded room with someone you really wanna to talk to and you really wanna connect with? And it's just too loud to hear what they're saying. And so there's only a couple of things you can do to make it better. Either you need to remove yourself from the noise of that environment, or you need to turn the noise down somehow, or you need to turn their voice up, but you gotta do something so that you can connect with them in the way that you desire. I think that God is desperately trying to speak to every person that is here today, every person that will listen later in the archives. He wants to speak to you. And so I wanna just take a few minutes and I wanna help us through this idea of silence and solitude to give God some space to speak to us. And I wanna address a couple of voices that I think are vying for our attention in this really loud world that we live in. 
And so we're gonna jump right in. I wanna cover three voices that we need to silence in our world. Here's the first one, you ready? It's the voice of distraction. The voice of distraction. There was a torture method that the French would use hundreds of years ago. Aren't you glad you came to church today to learn about torture methods? You're welcome. And this is kind of gruesome, but I'm going somewhere, trust me. They would take four horses and they would tie them to each limb of a person. Maybe it was a king that they conquered or someone that had gotten on the wrong side of the king's graces. And they would send those horses in four different directions. And do you know what this practice was called? Can't make this up. It was called death by distraction. This was the literal name. And I wonder how many of us are just kind of slowly dying, just kind of dead inside because we walk through life and there are all these cares of life and all of this noise and all of these distractions that are pulling at us from every angle. And we feel like we have too much on our plate and then something else gets thrown on our plate. We have enough cares and enough anxieties to worry about. And here comes another one. You know, John Mark Comer is one of my favorite authors and he has an incredible book. Uh, he has many incredible books, but one of my favorites is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you've never read this book, it's one of the best books you will ever read, especially in light of our culture right now. And a few years back, Pastor Joe did a series called Breaking Busy. And it was based off of this book. And so if you'd like, you can kind of get the clips notes through that series and just go back in the archives on the app or believers.cc. But one of the things that John Mark does is he does this cultural commentary and he compares two different eras in our history and it's strikingly similar. The, the first era that he looks at is the year 1440. And this is, uh, I'm sure many of you know, <laughs> the year that the printing press was was created and it was invented by Gutenberg, right? And this sparked the Protestant Reformation, which really transformed Europe and all of the world at that time. And it was this huge cultural event. It shifted everything, that leap in communication that people could hear and see more clearly that the message could travel more quickly. Well, he compares the year 1440 to the year 2007. He says the year 2007 was a seismic shift in our culture socially, economically and virtually. And he's talking about the, in, the invention of this right here. Do you remember Steve Jobs gets up on stage with his black turtleneck tucked into his jeans and he makes this announcement and we didn't know it, but it was gonna change our life forever. Like, can you remember what life was like before this? I can't. And it starts this steamroll effect. And not only was the iPhone created, but in that same year, 2007, Facebook went public. And so it was no longer this thing uh, where just a few college students used it to network with people. It became something that was in everyone's house. Most of them carried the internet in their pocket. You can access anyone in the entire world. All of a sudden, I like to call this a weapon of mass distraction. And ever since then, it has changed our lives forever, right? Like, think about this. This is one of the things that he mentioned. There is a guy named Tristan Harris. He's a former product philosopher for Google. How cool is that? Like, I just want to title that cool, product philosopher. Now he's a former product philosopher because here's what happened. He got to kind of see behind the curtain in the tech world and he started to see how corrupt it was. 
And so there are all of these people that are developing apps and algorithms and software that is designed not only to distract us, but also to addict us. And so he is currently fighting to make app developers and software developers take a Hippocratic oath so that we can have integrity in this industry because they are literally paid to try to get our attention. They are calling it the attention economy. And so everything is crafted and created to get our attention, to buy our attention. And listen, I want you to hear this. I'm not anti-technology. I clearly have a phone. I'm preaching off of an iPad right now. That's not what my message is about. But what are the effects that it's having, not just on our culture, but on our spirituality? Like, I thought this was pretty funny. Over the last four years, you know that they have measured our attention span, not just for kids. We're talking about just humans. And it has gone from 12 seconds to eight seconds. Now, that makes me wanna know, was 12 seconds like the starting point? Like, that's not very good either, right? It's really depressing as a preacher to know that you have a 12-second attention span. I know BC is an overachiever, so we're way better than that. But what is it doing? How is it affecting us? We know that it is directly linked to depression and anxiety, the use of smartphones and social media. Actually, there are six brand new psychological disorders that are directly connected to this. And so the question is like, what would God want us to do in our relationship with this? And I wanna go to the word of God. This is 1 Corinthians 7.35. And I'm gonna say to you what Paul said to the church of Corinth when they got an iPhone. Just kidding, that that's didn't make any sense. Okay, now listen, he said, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. Can I just say this? My goal is not to get you to toss your phone or your device in the trash when you go home today. My goal is not to get you to churn butter in the wilderness. I promise that's not what I'm after. But I, I actually just want what Paul wanted. Here's what he says. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Think about how much better your life would look if we could eliminate distraction. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, no matter how harmless it might appear to me. Now here's the conundrum. I do all my Bible reading on my Bible app. And you know what's kind of sad? My Bible app now has social media integrated into it. And so now I'm just trying to have a moment of solace and solitude with God and just get alone with him and hear him. And up pops a notification of what my friend's doing. And here comes distractions invading even my time with God. And listen, I love you version and I love the Bible app, but I'm just trying to say there is some irony in the way we are living our lives. And here's why it matters. This is the crux of the message. If I live in distraction, God can't get my attention. If I constantly live in a state of distraction, then it's very difficult for God to get my attention. And he desperately wants to get my attention. He desperately wants to connect with you as well. I think that the enemy knows the power of a person who has heard the voice of God. I really do. And I think he will do anything he can to stop us from hearing God's voice. I think of John the Baptist, what was he called? He was called the voice of one that was crying out in the wilderness. And what does the enemy do? The enemy does everything he can to silence his voice, ultimately beheading him 
because he was threatened and intimidated by God's voice making an imprint on someone who would spread that voice to the rest of the world. I think about Martin Luther. I just discovered this a couple of days ago. I think it's no secret that Martin Luther was kind of a rabble rouser and the religious institutions did not like Martin Luther because he was threatening everything that they held dear. And he was trying to get God's voice to be heard with the common man. And so one of his greatest joys in life was to translate the Bible into the language of every, everyday man so that they could clearly understand what God wanted to say to them. And so because of that, he was on the run a lot there was a season of his life where he was in hiding because he was getting death threats and people were trying to take his life. And so he was hiding in Wartburg, Germany. He was in this castle and he was translating the word of God. And as the story goes, one night, the devil himself showed up in the room where he was writing and translating the Bible to try to stop him. And I like what Martin Luther did. I don't really know how I would react if the devil came in the room I like to think I'd say, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, or something spiritual, but I'd probably be a little bit startled. But you know what he did? He took the inkwell that he had on his desk and he didn't even think about it. He just chucked it at the devil and the devil left. And I just thought, man, maybe we could learn from that because he took what he was doing, writing the word of God, and he threw that word of God right back at the devil. I think we ought to give it up for Martin Luther. He had it right. The devil doesn't want you to hear God's voice. And listen, I want you to hear this. This is worth writing down. If the devil can't destroy you, he'll distract you. If the devil can't destroy you, he will distract you. Maybe for some of us, it's the distraction of doing. We live in such a doing culture. We're always challenged to do more. And then we compare ourselves with other people and we feel bad when we don't do as much as they do and achieve as much as they do. There's a moment where Jesus is talking to these two sisters and I want you to just put yourself in their shoes for a moment. They have the son of God coming over for dinner. Now in my house growing up, if we had a special guest coming over, like from church, it was an all day affair. And we would have to clean with my parents and we would inspect every single part of our house and you know, I'm sure like Martha probably got the good china out, you know, the one you only eat on like once a year. And she probably got some extra special ingredients and she probably followed a Gordon Ramsay recipe just to make it elevated and, and feel extra special. She had the son of God coming over. So it's very understandable and relatable to me that she would put a lot of effort into doing something for Jesus. But listen to what happens. This is Luke 10:40. It describes Martha in such a unique way. It says, but Martha was, there's that word, distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Did you know it is possible to be distracted by doing and miss out on the joy of knowing the God who made you? It's possible. Now listen what goes on to happen here. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Anybody relate to that one, huh? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha. One translation says, Martha, Martha. It always makes me think of the Brady Bunch. Martha, Martha, Martha. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset all over these details. Listen to what Jesus says. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away 
from her. Can I just take a second to remind you of the first time that you heard God's voice speak? The first time that it became so real to you, the first time that you opened up the Bible and it just felt like his words jump off the page at you and it transformed you and you couldn't go through life the same. But how quickly do we just kind of get distracted by the cares of life, maybe even doing things for God that are really good things. But here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think he's saying this to Martha and he's saying it to you and me. He's saying, Martha, your work is good, but your worship is even better. I love seeing you work for my kingdom. I love seeing you do things for me. But you know what I love most of all? I love it when you just come to my feet and just hang out with me because that's what I made you for. I want to know you. I want to connect with you. There's another moment with Jesus and the disciples, and this is after he sent them out to do ministry. And then they're coming back and they're reporting to him all these great things that have happened. They've been very busy. So this is what it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had, here's that word, done and taught. Now this is bonus. I don't even think it's on the screen. So just listen along. Verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even get a chance to eat. And he said to them, I love this. He said, hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And I just love that we have a savior that in the face of what the world tells us to do, rush, run, hurry, do more, achieve. Jesus doesn't say run, he says rest. He says, just come and be with me. Come all of you who are heavy laden and I will give you what? I will give you rest. This is what our savior does. Our world says you're defined by what you do. Jesus says, you will find yourself when you get lost in me when you can just learn to connect with me and hear my voice, something comes alive on the inside of you. About two years ago now, we're coming up on two years ago. I remember it was just one of the most difficult seasons of my life. I'm sure many of you could relate to that as we were going through a quarantine. It was just very difficult. And I'm not saying this to complain, but many people think, man, what, you know, pastors had it good during that time. Like they didn't have to do service for three months. And um, bless their heart, you know? But like, it was just the exact opposite of that. It was like everything we did took more effort and more energy. I was never more busy. And then I have a personality. I can kind of relate to Martha. I'm an achiever. So I can easily slide over into finding my self-worth and my identity in what I do. And so the nice thing about being able to have church online is that you can have church online. But the difficult thing is I could see everyone else in the world's online experience and so when I would see this church and what they're doing, I would, I would think we can do that and we need to do that. And then I would see this person was in the hospital and, and this person was not feeling well. And, and I would think I need to make more calls and I need to pray for more people and I need to do more and I need to write more messages. And I just remember taking a walk this one day and I was just really tired and exhausted and I was just listening. And I remember it was a beautiful day I remember God showed me a picture of myself and this doesn't happen very often at all with me, but I remember it was almost like this vision, this image of what I looked like. And I was just frustrated and praying to God and I saw myself on a treadmill and I looked so exhausted and I was just moving all over the place and doing, doing, doing. And 
I immediately knew he was talking about what I was doing in ministry and what I was doing as a husband and as a dad. I just was going, 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 but I was going nowhere fast. I think a lot of us can relate to that. I feel like I'm just going through the motions and there's a lot of movement, but there's no forward progress in my life. And God said it to me this way and it like cut me deep. He said, when are you going to get off of the treadmill of trying? And then he said, and when are you gonna walk at my pace and trust me? And I just felt like it hit me like dynamite and it took me a little time to process it. But I just started to feel such a load come off. Because can we all agree, there's always gonna be another text message. Moms, there's always gonna be another dish to clean. There's always gonna be another load of laundry. There's always gonna be another email to answer. There's always gonna be another fill in the blank that we need to do. But I think, I think Jesus is just saying, come and be with me. Your work is great, but your worship is better. And here's the beauty. When we can worship Jesus, then out of that flows beautiful work. When we can trust God and we just say, God, you're my first priority. You're the voice I need to hear. So I'm gonna silence all the distractions. I'm gonna go on silent mode for a little bit and get away just so I can be with you. Then guess what happens? Brilliant work starts to flow out of that. So let's just get practical for a second. What does that look like in my everyday life? Like for me, maybe it looks like I don't rub the sleep out of my eyes and put this in front of my face the moment I wake up. Maybe for me, it's just putting limits on my technology. And it's saying, you know what, God? You get the first part of my day. King David said, early in the morning, I will seek you. What was he saying? Hey, God, you get my very first and my very best. Before the world wakes up and before all the distractions come pouring in, I'm just saying, I just wanna meet with you because my work is gonna be important today, but my worship outweighs all of my work. And God just starts to breathe on that and he'll show you what that looks like in your own life. But it's eliminating the voice of distraction. Here's the second one and we'll spend way less time on the last two. The second voice that you see Jesus deal with in the Bible is the voice of doubt. The second voice we need to silence is the voice of doubt. There's this story in Mark chapter five, verse 39. And at this stage of my life, it hits closer to home than ever because it's about this 12 year old little girl that is lying lifeless. And I currently have a son that's 12 years old and I have a daughter that's almost 11. And I just try to put myself in that place and imagine what I would be going through as a parent if my child was lying there lifeless. And I can tell you, I would be desperate I would be defiant to get to Jesus. I would do anything I could to get to this man who could change the situation. So that's exactly what happens. And Jesus is brought to this house. And it says this, he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? This child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Now this is interesting. The crowd laughed at him. What is this? It's the voice of doubt. It's just, the voice that says that what Jesus says isn't true, that the voice of God isn't reality. And I want you to think about this. Jesus could have responded in so many ways. He was the son of God. He knew he was, gonna about, he was about to raise her back to life. He could have done it in front of this group, but what does he do? Next it says, but he made them all leave. Because if you're gonna raise the dead, you need to dismiss the doubters from the room. And I love this because here's what Jesus says, hey, my voice says she's still alive. My voice says she's gonna raise back up 
And so I'm going to dismiss the voice of doubt and look who he invites into the room. This is cool. And he took the girl's father and mother. Can we all agree they had some faith? They were trusting and believing that God was not done with their daughter. And then he took his three disciples. They had faith because they had seen Jesus do this all over the place. They've watched him perform one miracle after the other. And so why does he take these five people into the room? Because they were the five people that could have faith that he could do what he said he could do. So he dismisses the doubters. He brings in the people with faith and look at the result. Verse 41, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Koam, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. Maybe for you, your marriage looks like it's on life support. It looks like you are on the verge of a death in your marriage. Divorce is imminent. And God is saying, no, 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 you need to dismiss the voice of doubt and you need to bring the voice of faith. And what I have spoken is that this marriage can live. Maybe you look at your kids and you're like, there is no way they will ever come back to Jesus. They are so far from God. Joe, you would, you would never ever believe they could come back if you knew where they were. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Just align your voice with what my voice says because there is still life to be had. I can raise anything back to life but you gotta dismiss the voice of doubt. Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe it's your physical health, whatever it is. Can I just encourage you to align your voice with what God's voice is saying? Remember Zechariah, he's the father of John the Baptist. Remember we said John is a voice crying out in the wilderness. And when God through an angel tells Zechariah that he's gonna have a son, he laughs, he doubts it because his wife is old and it just seems unbelievable to him. And what does God do? God puts him on vocal rest. And he just says, hey, if you can't align your voice with what my voice is saying, it's probably better for you to say nothing at all. So you won't be speaking for nine months until you see that I'm faithful and you see that I'm good. Maybe we can learn something from Zechariah. If we don't have words of faith to speak over a situation, just keep quiet until we can get some, right? But God wants us to align with what he is saying and to silence the voice of doubt. All right, here's the third and final one. Jesus would silence the voice of temptation. I can't tell you as a pastor how many people I talk to that love God with everything they've got, but they struggle so much with fill in the blank sin. And it's that habitual kind, you know what I'm saying? It's the thing that you've promised God, I will never do that again. And here we are again. And then you pray for mercy and you wake back up and you're right back at the same place. And I love how Jesus confronts the voice of temptation. Many of us would know this story. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's in Matthew chapter four. And he is fasting for 40 days, where? In the wilderness, in the quiet place, alone with God. And this is where the enemy attacks. So if you ever feel like the enemy's attacking your time with God, join the club. Welcome to Club Human, because this is where he loves to attack so he can distract you from hearing from God. But I'm gonna state an obvious thing and I'll explain what I mean. Matthew chapter four could have never happened without Matthew chapter three. Brilliant, I know. But can I remind you what happened in Matthew chapter three? So Matthew chapter four is the temptation that he hears through the voice of Satan. But one chapter earlier, Jesus is baptized and there's a voice that comes down from heaven. This is his father. Listen to what he says. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. 
And I'm convinced of this. I really believe that it was the voice of validation from his father that helped him to fight off the voice of temptation from the enemy. Here's what I'm trying to say. The more that we can familiarize ourselves with our father's voice, the less the voice of temptation has any hold on us. Can I tell you something? I know my dad's voice. I could be in a room with 600 people. And if my dad is talking, I know where my dad is. I can locate him really quickly. I know my dad's cough. I know my dad's sneeze. I know his unique vocal signature because I've spent a lot of time with my dad. Can anybody relate to this? Remember in John 10, 27, where Jesus said, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. Well, in John 10, five, he makes another statement. This is interesting. He says, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. If you know God's voice, you won't listen to the enemy's voice. And a lot of times in church, especially religious culture, we live in such a sin conscious culture. And so everything is about don't do this and you cut that out and you better stop doing that or God's not gonna be happy with you. And I'm telling you, sin management has never helped anybody get free from sin. Can I say a shocking statement to you? My hatred of sin does not help me get free from sin. No, it's not my hate of sin that helps me get free. It's my love for Jesus. It's just recognizing his voice as the greater voice. There's this, this man that my friend was telling me about, and I wish I could credit him, but he didn't remember his name. It's been passed on to him. But there was a man that was being honest about his struggles. He had a struggle with pornography and for years it was a habitual sin and he could never overcome it. But he finally had this moment where it clicked and he began to have victory in this area and he was helping someone else. And I'm just gonna read to you what he said. He said, Jesus never told me not to look at pornography. He told me, take me by the hand and we'll never walk in that direction. This is what I'm saying, that the more we can encounter who God is and know his voice, the less we'll even have to worry about sin because a life of following Jesus is not meant to be behavior modification, it's life transformation. I'm telling you, God begins to work in your life and he begins to use that in a really cool, really special way. And so I'm gonna invite you all over the room at every campus to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I think it might be an appropriate moment to practice what we're preaching. And so in just a second at every campus and online, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you to be silent. Before we do that, I just wanna encourage you with this final thought. I think many of us have heard of the story of Jericho. And Jericho has this culminating crescendo of a moment where there is a very loud shout and the walls come down, right? And if you don't know the story, it was this city that was this fortress that was standing in between God's people and his promises, the promised land. And it was very intimidating and these walls were big. You could drive chariots around the walls. People lived in the walls. It was massive. And it's interesting to me because you could read that story a thousand times and you could preach messages on praise and shouting and that would be fair. But I always think about what happened before the praise and what happened before the shout. Actually, for six days before they ever shouted, they walked quietly around the walls. They just walked in obedience quietly 
and God didn't tell them to do anything or to make any noises. And I have to imagine that they were being mocked by the soldiers inside of the fortress. I have to imagine the voice of doubt and discouragement was coming at them with every increasing lap, but they just kept with obedience, just walking around the wall, just quietly in obedience to God. And here's what I want you to hear. Loud shouts never come without quiet obedience. Quiet obedience is the building ground. It's the breeding crowd for God doing something in you that will lead to some really loud shouts and moments of celebration. But it's in the silence. It's in the quiet place that God does something in us that he cannot duplicate anywhere else in our life. So I'm gonna invite you at each campus. That's all I have to say. I'm gonna invite you to do what we're talking about. And maybe this will just be like an accelerant in your daily time with God but can we just take a moment and just breathe in God's presence and just be quiet? God, I just pray that we would become more and more comfortable in the quiet place, more and more aware of stepping aside from the work and just taking some time to worship. And I just pray as we do that, that you would make yourself real to us and come alive to us and transform us. Thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing in every one of our hearts. Hey, the final thing I wanna do before the MCs come to close the service, I just wanna invite a very specific person to make a decision. If, if you cannot remember a moment in your life, not when you decided to become a member of a church or be baptized or have your first communion, go to Sunday school, those are all great things, but I wanna be more specific. I wanna ask you the most important question anyone will ever ask you. Can you remember in a moment in your life where someone just asked you, what have you done with Jesus? Jesus actually made this statement about himself in a world that will tell you there's all kinds of different ways to get to heaven, to get to the afterlife, whatever they might call it. Jesus said, no, there's actually only one way. He said, I am the way and I'm the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me. And so if you can't remember a moment in your life where you just said, Jesus, you can take the wheel. You can sit in the driver's seat. I don't just even acknowledge you as a God or the God, but I actually acknowledge you as my Lord. Now you're calling the shots in my life. If you can't remember that online at TCI, BC Boardman, BC Warren right here in the room, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And this is a prayer that can change your life from the inside out. You might not feel anything, but the Bible makes it pretty clear. There's a miracle that takes place and you can have a confidence and an assurance that you're on your way to a place called heaven. But here's the coolest part you're also enabling heaven to come into your here and now because God wants to invade every part of your life, your relationships and your job and your workplace and every, everything. He wants to bring a purpose into it. So if that's you and you can't remember a moment when you've prayed that prayer, I just wanna lead you in that prayer. And there are so many that will pray it with us. Can you repeat this after me? 
at every campus. Pray this. Say, dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he did for me, that he lived a perfect life because I couldn't and hung on a cross and took the punishment and paid the price for my sin that was separating me from you. So I receive this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. I say he is the only way to the Father. And I won't be perfect, but every day from this point on, I will follow you. I am a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.